Welcome to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast with Lauren Curry of Curry Financial Group Limited. In this podcast, we are focused on helping businesses set up and manage their group benefit plan to protect and assist their most valuable assets. Join us on this journey where Lauren explores ways to help you develop effective and cost-efficient strategies for your business. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Benefits of Knowledge with Lauren Curry. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing great today, Eric. Excited to get back at it. Me too. I mean, the, the first two podcasts really were just kind of covering a bit of your history and, and getting the audience to know you. And then on the second podcast, we walked through what it's like to engage you and your team. So if you haven't heard those yet, audience, please go back and listen to those. That really gives you the foundation for what this entire podcast series is going to be about. But today, I know that we're talking about funding models. And I, I have no idea. I'm kind of going into this blind. I'm, I'm here to learn from you. What are funding models when it comes to benefits? Uh, basically, there are th three different ways that employers can have the, the payments of their plan put together. They can do it in what we call an ASO or administrative services only program, okay. uh, generally used for larger companies, uh, an insured program, which is the most popular. And then we also have what we call a pooled program. Okay, so ASO, insured, and pooled. Correct. Okay, and, that, and, you, and you kind of went by size, it sounds like. So ASO, largest companies kind of do that, medium size, insured, and then the, the smaller companies are pooled. So how about we start with ASO? For large companies, how does that work? The thing is, it doesn't have to be large companies. Okay. It really comes down to the comfort level of the employer and how much risk they want to take on. Most cases, we generally look at companies of 30 plus before we do too much on the ASO as far as the healthcare side. All right. Why would you say the employer is taking on more risk? Well, the ASA, ASO model is the employer actually pays the claims that come through the program plus an administration fee to the insurance carrier to administer the program. At the end of the year, or depending on how it's set up, there, if there's a surplus in the program, then that money is the employer's money. If there's a deficit, in other words, we haven't put enough money into the program, then the employer is gonna be responsible to pay that money back. If we're in a budgeted plan, that ends at the end of the year, we'll see if there's a surplus or a deficit. In most of my programs, actually all of my programs, we never end up writing a check for that deficit. What we do is we adjust next year's premiums to make it a little higher because obviously we've underfunded or we set the budget too low mm -hmm. if there's a deficit or we got surprise claims, obviously, that we didn't know about that, which is the only reason we would be under budgeted. Or if there's a surplus, then we will actually charge less or budget less next year towards those monthly premiums. So that's a budgeted ASO program. There's also a pure ASO program, which is not a budgeted plan. What happens in those cases is as the claims come in, so as employees go to the dentist or go to the pharmacy or whatever that case is, those claims would be put in at that time. And at the end of that month, the employer would pay whatever the claims were. Again, there's always the administration fee. Nobody works for free. 
Mm. And of course, the government's going to have to get a little bit of tax. <laughs> oh, come on. Really? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they want their part too? Okay. Always. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so let me ask you this. If, if I'm a business owner, that sounds a little concerning to me that, that I'm responsible for pl- paying the claims. What, what happens if there's a really large claim? Okay. We always put in place coverage for catastrophic claims. Okay. I'll use an example. Uh, if somebody has hepatitis C, mm-hmm. there is a cure for hepatitis C, which is a wonderful thing. However, it's probably going to cost between eighty dollars and $120,000. Holy cow. For that. Yes. It's very expensive. And we have all kinds of examples of very large dollar claims. We see uh, claims for Crohn's and colitis come in at $30,000 a year. We have... Uh, mm claims for arthritis medications that could be $65,000 a year. And then there's some, there's some really big ones out there. So needless to say, we could break an employer pretty quick if we start putting a bunch of these high dollar claims through. Mm -hmm. So we need to buy an insurance policy to protect us against these catastrophic claims. So most cases, again, depending on the size of the company, a lot of them, it's going to be a $10,000 per year per person cap. Mm-hmm. So any claims above that amount would go into what we call an in Canada pool. Right? Got it. And then you pay an insurance to have that coverage. Larger companies or some carriers, again, they're all a little bit different. Some of them might be $15,000 that you would be held responsible for before that it goes into that in Canada pool. We're always looking to protect the employer, but if your claims are pretty steady, and if you're a large enough employer, one $10,000 per year claim, if you spread that out, if you've got 100 employees, it's, it's not really that big a deal. But if you had a $100,000 claim go through there, it, it would be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, this is all new to me, so this is very, very intriguing. I used to work for a large company that they self-insured uh, for like vehicles and things like that because it was... I mean, we had thousands of employees and, and there were vehicles that were used by the group, I mean, probably over a hundred vehicles. So they self-insured with their, with their vehicles specifically, those types of claims. I know that we're talking about two different things here, but is that kind of what we're looking at is they're self-insuring when, when they're paying the claims? And, and I mean, not, I know the catastrophic claims are different, but for these others, is that kind of what that looks like? That's exactly what we're talking about. Yes. Self-insuring okay. basically. Okay. All right. Up, up to that point, right? Yep. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense, you know, cause it's obviously you have to evaluate that. I would assume every year based on your employees, based on what you know about their health, what you're allowed to know about their health, that could get a little bit tricky, wouldn't it? Because I mean, you can't, as an employee, you can't ask them, Hey, how you feeling today? <laughs> you know? yeah. no. Hey, have you, you know, is there a possibility you have cancer? I mean, that's, that's a very bad question to ask and pretty sure it's not legal. Right. Yeah, we, we have very strict uh, privacy laws here in Canada. Mm-hmm. You're not asking any of those questions. But again, this is, this is why we have that coverage for the catastrophic claims yeah. in place. Claims are going to go up and down. But you know, in your dental plan, as an example, everybody has a certain maximum amount that they're going to cover per person per year. Mm-hmm. We don't run into catastrophic claims on the dental side right? It could be $1,000 per person per year, $1,500 per person per year. It's very budgetable. And anything that we can budget, this works very well. Because 
one of the, you know, so why would empl- an employer take this risk on if they don't have to, right? So if you're in an, an insured plan, which we'll talk about in a minute, the insurance company is sending or setting up what they call their inflation or trends factor. So they determine, okay, is there inflation going to happen in the drug, say drugs or, or whatever it is. And then the trend piece is going to be as we age, especially in healthcare, then we're looking at, we use more healthcare. Mm-hmm. So the insurance company is going to come out and set what I consider an artificial number, probably in the neighborhood of 12%. Again, each insurance company is a little bit different. We look at that stuff very closely, but they're going to set this number up. The other thing they're going to do is they're going to set aside what we call an incurred but not reported reserve. These reserves, so let's think of it this way. If I go to the chiropractor all year and I just throw my receipts in a shoebox, that's the way it used to be years ago, right? People did. That money or that claim, I've incurred it because I went to the chiropractor, but I have not reported it to the insurance company yet. We have very little of this nowadays because everything's electronic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So personally, I don't think the reserves need to maybe be as big as they are, but an insurance company is going to set aside a reserve of money at your first renewal in an insured program so that those they're protected to make sure those claims are paid. But in an ASO program, we don't need to do that because we know that the employer, the company is going to be held responsible for whatever claims are paid through the program, plus mm-hmm. the admin fee and taxes. So we're not artificially throwing any numbers out there. Everything is actual numbers. Yeah. So that is my opinion. That is the, the biggest advantage of being able to go into an ASO program. All right. One last question. I know we need to move on to the next one, but you said that there could be a surplus at the end of the year. Let's just throw out a number. It's a larger company. Um, let's say their surplus is $100,000 at the end of the year. What's done with that money? Depends on the size of the company. If the surplus is too big. So let's say it's more than 15% of the annual budget. Mm-hmm. Then we would actually cut a check back to that employer and give their money back. If the deficit is more than 15%, again, different carriers, different numbers, but as an example, then generally, technically, again, the way it should work is the company would be asking for a lump sum check. Fortunately, we're generally in a situation where we're within those 15%. That surplus or deficit is just continues on in the float we adjust next year's premiums up or down to either regain some of that surplus back to the employer with lower premiums Mm -hmm. or budget, or we increase it because we know we need to pay off that deficit. Got it. Got it. And we, we have very good partners with some of our insurance carriers and they're very willing to work with us on this stuff. Fantastic. All right. So the second one was called insured and, and you actually spoke a little bit about insurance, you know, you know, the catastrophic claims being insured in the previous one, but this one I'm assuming obviously is, is almost all insured, if not all of it. Yes. And we, we are specifically uh, talking about health and dental here because mm-hmm. right? your life insurance, your LTD, all of those benefits, we call them pooled benefits. Uh, you pay a premium, they are hundred percent insured. So it, it is health and dental we're specifically talking about. All right. In an insured program, the employer is going to pay 
a premium to an insurance carrier, right? The mm -hmm. insurance carrier is going to say, we need X number of dollars for health. We need X number of dollars for dental. And you're going to pay that for the, the next 12 months. If there's a surplus, the insurance company is going to keep it. If there's a deficit, that's the insurance company's responsibility. This is a fully insured program. The employer is not going to be held responsible to pay off that deficit. However, if there's a surplus, they're, they're going to give that up as well. Okay. But, I mean, that, that sounds like most insurance, right? I mean, you, you, yep. I pay every month for my insurance. I know we're talking about health and dental here, but I go back to the car insurance. I pay that every month. And if I don't get an accident, it's not like they're like, hey, good job. Here's your money back. <laughs> yep, <laughs> they just keep it. So that, That's right. It, that's why it's called insured. All right? right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, when you think of this, though, the insurance companies are not in business to lose money. Mm -hmm. right? They're not there just to pay claims. They're there to administer the programs for us. Mm -hmm. Next year's uh, premium that is going to have to be set up is going to have a big part of that is going to be the previous year's claims. Got it. Right? So the higher the claims that are going to go through this program, that's going to make next year's premiums more expensive. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're fortunate enough that claims are going down, then yes, we, we will see decreases in premium. But remember, the insurance companies are also setting that artificial trend in inflation number and they're mm -hmm. setting aside as reserves. So they are building protection in there to make sure that they're not going to lose money. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't think anybody likes to lose money. So no, we can't expect them to. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you said this is kind of medium sized company. So shoot me some numbers as far as how many employees you're looking at. This could go, you know, right down to say five employees up to, well, I, I've seen insured company, like insured plans for companies up to a hundred employees. Hmm. Okay. Depends on the situation. If, if we have a company, even if there's say a hundred employees, but if there's a lot of turnover there, so, when, you know, employees coming and going, they're not a steady workforce in that situation, we may want to stay with an insured plan because we haven't built that history of having the, the consistent claims experience. Uh, remember what I said is we can budget it mm -hmm. if it's consistent, then that's the good for the ASO model. But if, if we see a lot of up and downs in claims, then, you know, maybe we need to wait until that company's workforce maybe is a little steadier and then we can project the, what those claims are going to be on in an easier. Gotcha. All right. Anything else we need to know about the insured plan? Uh, well, we, we talked about catastrophic claims previous, so mm -hmm. it still works the same way here. If we have a very high dollar drug claim or something like that, we still have that catastrophic insurance and, and that uh, above the 10 or $15,000 per person per year, that still goes into an in-Canada pool. Got it. Okay. So it, that the part still works the same. All right. That makes sense. And the last of the, the three funding models that you spoke about is pooled. Um, and this was also for, seemed to work well for smaller companies. So what is pooled all about? Well, pooled, what that means is we might have 5,000 different companies insured through the same program, right? Okay. And 
nobody's claims are held. You're not held responsible individually as a company, mm-hmm. all 500 or 5,000 or whatever companies that are in this pooled program, it just goes into one big pot. You're not looking at those incurred, but not reported reserves. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at an insurance company setting the artificial inflation and trend numbers. Everything just goes into one big pot from that. The, 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 you know, the organization running that pool then says, okay, we need an increase, say, of 5% this year for everybody to make sure we are able to cover the, you know, the claims and the, yeah. the costs of the program. Generally, we only look at this if we've got com- smaller companies, definitely under 10 employees. I don't normally look at this for something larger unless we have an employer that is very adverse to risk mm-hmm. and they just do not want to take any kind of chances. So this to me is a lower risk program. We right. have a, a specific company that we do this business with. I can tell you in over the last 13 years, like the average increase per year has been 5.6%. Smaller companies would look at that and say, well, you know what? I can budget for a 5.6% increase per year. Now, mm-hmm. it, you know, it might be 11 this year and it might be two next year. So don't, it's not, it's not set at 5.6 every year, but that's what it's averaged mm-hmm. for a small company. If you think of it, if you got three or four employees and somebody in your program needs a high dollar cost drug and you're held, you know, held responsible for a 10 up to $10,000 of that claim, that's going to be really hard on next yeah. year's premiums. Yeah. That, that, no kidding. That's tough. We don't need to worry about these, the, the pooling charge for catastrophic claims, because again, everything is pooled together. Mm-hmm. Steady budget. I normally look at this for, again, the three, four, five person groups where they just, they just want to make sure they're protected without any big surprises. Okay. I got a question here because I, businesses are different, right? I mean, and, and different businesses have different risks when it comes to uh, their employees. So a construction company... Uh, is going to have different risks, you know, whether it's somebody getting hurt on the job site through an accident or through just, you know, wear and tear on the body compared to a, an office that is somebody could suffer from carpal tunnel because they're typing all day, but they have different risks. Are, are those things taken into consideration when they're pooling these small groups together? Are there like, are there similar businesses put into similar pools because they have different risks? Well, the, the risks you're talking about there are not going to be for your health and dental risks. Okay. That's going to be for your life insurance risk. That's going to be for your long-term disability risk. Mm, okay. The demographics of your group. Okay. We're going to be age, sex, what their job descriptions are, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that are going to be taken into account when we set up the premium for your life insurance or your long-term disability premiums. Got it. Right. So that's a separate piece of the program, but that's a very good point. There is different risk and and we do see a great swing, especially when we start looking at long-term disability rates. Cause yeah, again, the very physical job is there's a lot more risk there. The insurance company has to make sure they've covered Mm -hmm. that off. Me sitting here in front of my computer most of the day, probably not too much risk to that. Yeah. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yep. I, I left the warehouse work and heavy lifting years and years ago, which I'm really happy about. So I have a question for you that's kind of loaded because, I mean, you, you did a great job of describing each one. But would you say there's one of these funding models is better than another one? Or, or, or is it really just individualized? There's no best model. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it depends on every employer. What is their comfort level? What's the situation with their company? If they had the same 50 employees working for them for the last 15 years, 20 years, mm-hmm. is it a brand new company that has got to be very, very careful with their budget because they just don't have enough money if we happen to come in with a 20% increase at renewal time for their group benefit program? Mm-hmm. So. You know, those things are very important. As we talked about in our, our earlier podcasts, we like to customize our programs to the needs of the employer we're dealing with. Even with these three different funding models, my preference is usually to make a combination, right? Oh, okay. So we might have a 20, 20 person group. We may say, you know what, for drugs in particular, we just want this insured, Mm -hmm. right? We just don't want to take a chance here. We want this insured. We may carve out things like their paramedicals. So chiropractors, physiotherapists, orthotics, vision care, we could carve that out and we could put that even into a healthcare spending account, which we'll talk about in another podcast. Mm, All right. Dental. I think I mentioned earlier, dental, we have caps on dental right? It's so many dollars per person per year. That's the maximum that can be claimed. So we're not going to get as big a surprises on dental. Mm -hmm. So even a smaller company, if we've got, you know, some credibility, I'll call it from, from past of, of what these claims have been, and it's pretty budgetable. I really like to mix an ASO dental, even Mm -hmm. on a plan that has an insured healthcare portion, very flexible, I've said it uh, in the previous podcasts, it's not the same as it used to be years ago where it was cookie cutter, Uh you know, which plan do you want? We really want to make sure we're doing what's best for that employer and their employees. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I I never thought about being able to mix and match the different pieces because, I mean, that makes perfect sense, especially with the dental that you you gave as the example for the ASO uh, funding model. That's great. And it also harkens back to what you said in the previous podcast about the the time that you spend with your employers going through what their needs are, size of the company, all the things that the, all the information they have to help you find something that best fits. And to that end, how do people get a hold of you if they're listening to this and saying, yeah, I, I'd really like their team, you know, Lauren's team to take a look at this, what I've currently got and see if this is the best mix of my options or if they're just starting from scratch, how should they reach out to you? Well, they can always just go right online to our website. It's uh, currayfinancialgroup.com. We've got a toll-free number here at the office. It's 1-866-445-4424. And uh, you can ask for Joan or myself, and we'd be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Eric. I always learn a ton about your your industry uh, when I speak to you. I just love that. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. I hope you are learning as much as I am. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast with Lauren Curry of Curry Financial Group. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. 
This way, when Lauren comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Curry Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Benefits of Knowledge podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.